Stedman podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Hopefully you've been enjoying this, um, these uh, conversations I've been having with people about uh, religion and faith and just some other aspects that we probably be thinking about, but just too afraid to ask. And I think this topic is kind of something that um, is very prevalent to our world today. And that has to do with just kind of the wrath of God and, and some of the um, natural disasters or even some of the pandemics that we are experiencing and how does that relate? So joining me today is a long time, a long time uh, ho- um, host on my show, uh, Ryan Garns, been with me since Theology and Backgammon days and has been on here numerous times. So Ryan, welcome back to the show. Hey, Scott, good to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, not a problem, man. Uh, so let's talk about this idea of the wrath of God. It seems like recently um, with the COVID-19 and especially just um, the last few weeks here in Stanton, we've had some flash flooding where our downtown area was completely underwater. And, you know, there's been some people who have kind of local people who have kind of said, oh, well, the reason why we're having this flooding is because of sin or God's trying to get our attention or whatever, however you want to phrase it, like that these things that are happening in our world today has to do because God's angry with us. So why is it that as Americans or even just people in general, why do we have this belief that Anytime when there's a big natural disaster or a pandemic that happens, that God's behind it. Well, probably uh, <laughs> the short and, and possibly flippant sounding answer is we're very superstitious people. <laughs> mm. um, I think I think we're sometimes um, just paranoid that like God is God is ready to strike us down for every wrong thing that we do. You know, I can, I can remember as a young person feeling that way, not, not that, that God was going to, you know, go all Zeus on me and, and throw a lightning bolt at me, but every little thing, you know, that I did, I was, I was always kind of like nervous, like, is God going to hold this one little thing against me, this little lie that I told this, uh, uh, this uh, way that I treated my sister yesterday, you know, Mm -hmm. I remember being a young person, and uh, that kind of mentality, for whatever reason, it might not have been the church that instilled this in me. Uh, it might have been partly the church. It might have been my upbringing. It might have been, you know, the way that I interacted with parents as mm-hmm. authority figures, um, being, being afraid of uh, whether my parents were going to punish me for little things, you know. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I, I look back on... Um, kind of my younger formative years. And I think I was very superstitious mm. about God. And uh, I think uh, at least as, as a country, maybe we haven't, uh, I like to think that I've grown out of superstition um, mm. as an adult, but I think maybe as a country, we, we haven't um, entirely. Um, that's not to say that everybody is superstitious, um, but um, and I think it's also because we don't take the love of God seriously enough. Mm. Um, 
And, and I think you bring up a good point there. I think you bring up good two points. I think you bring up the whole idea of superstition because even if you think about, you know, like how sometimes people are superstitious about anything, even Christians, and sometimes it's, it's not even like biblically related. I mean, I know a guy who, because like right now we're at the point now in our in our year where my basement will start having grasshoppers and crickets inside the basement. And I don't know why, how that happens, but, um, but, you know, I had a guy saying, well, if you have a cricket in your house, don't kill it. Don't kill crickets because he told the story how when he was a kid, he, every time he killed a cricket, something bad happened. (laughs) So for him, it was like, do not kill crickets. If you can get them outside, because if you do, something bad happens, which was funny because the first year I was here, you know, they're in their basement. So what am I doing? I'm like killing them. I'm sweeping them up in the vacuum. I'm doing all this stuff. And the next thing you know, there were some things that happened that were like, kind of like bad. And I was like, uh, maybe, maybe there's something to this. You know, I started to get a little superstitious <laughs> myself. Um, but it's hilarious, but yeah, it is, it's pretty funny. So there's that, but then you also talk about, you know, the idea of a loving God and people don't understand God's love. And I think a lot of that kind of comes from what we see the church doing. But even when we look at scripture, I mean, when we think about, even if we think about kind of just the first five books of the Old Testament, we have the flood in Genesis. In Exodus, we have um, we have like the pestilence and the plagues that hit Egypt, mainly because mm-hmm. of Pharaoh's stubbornness. Um, yeah, and his heart and heart, and then think it's Leviticus where Korah what, what, was it Korath, Korath, who's um, who's leads a rebellion against Moses, and then the earth shakes and the earth opens up and swallows right, him. Right. So you know when you think about, and then even if we can go all the way up to um, First Kings with Ezekiel and the wind and the fire and the earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in it. It was in the still small voice. So there's always been God showing his might or his power through nature. Um, Yeah. And sometimes that is usually equivalated to when anything bad happens or when there's a bad hurricane or tornadoes in Oklahoma, Mm -hmm that usually when someone usually the media ask someone who's in the evangelical religious circles oh what about this then they usually seem to talk about god or that or sometimes they won't even say it was god they'll say that it was the devil and not god who caused this natural disaster and all this destruction yeah yeah yeah. you know we 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 certainly can't um like deny that the Bible um, talks about natural disasters and God as being um, kind of definitely kind of connected. And, um, uh, and, you know, I I was just thinking yesterday about the plagues in Egypt, you know, Mm -hmm. like if, if something like that were to happen today, you know, we, we'd call it a natural disaster. The, you know, if, if a bunch of different insects just, ate up all of our crops and um, I I don't know what we would say about an entire river turning into blood. Um, 
you know, but like we, we would call those things natural disasters. And definitely in the context of the Exodus, um, that was, that was God's hand. And so we do have to come to terms with, um, with those things. And, um, I, and, and I'll be, I'll be really frank. Um, I really struggle, um, a lot of times, uh, talking about the wrath of God and trying to make sense of it. And I think, and I think that we're probably not honest enough with ourselves. We're not honest enough with the Bible. We're not honest enough, um, about how this is a really difficult concept to grasp. I hear people talk about the wrath of God as though it's enjoyable. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I hear, I hear people talk about the wrath of God uh, coming upon people and uh, making these declarations and um, how God's wrath has to be, um, has to be satiated and, and all that kind of stuff. And it just makes me really uncomfortable how comfortable people are talking about the wrath of God, because even in the context of the Bible, um, even in the context of the Bible, the biblical authors are a little bit confused about the wrath of God. Um, There are stories in the Bible, kind of like what you were saying, Scott, um, where people attribute a certain um, wrath-like event as being done by God. Mm -hmm. And then in another book, it's the same exact story. And they say, this was of Satan. This was not of God. And so Mm -hmm. even the biblical authors struggle to, to discern, like, is this really furious thing that's happening in our world? Is this really of God or is this of some other, um, some other being in the spiritual realm. So after recording this podcast, Ryan sent me a text message, uh, kind of feeling a little uneasy about his comment here about the biblical authors being confused without having a frame of reference uh, to talk about. So he actually gave me the scripture that he was talking about to kind of give some clarity to what he meant by Uh, biblical authors being confused on the wrath of God. If you turn to your Bibles and you look at 2 Samuel 24, 1, uh, we see that the because of the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, he incited David against them, saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. However, when we look at the same exact story, account in first chronicles 21 1 it says satan rose up against israel and incited david to take a census of israel so that's what ryan meant when he talked about the confusion of the biblical authors when it came to the wrath of god on one hand you saw in um second samuel's account that it was god who was angry against israel and then in First uh, Chronicles twenty-one, one, we see that it was the enemy or the devil or Satan who rose up against Israel and incited David to take the census of Israel. And even um, even if if you think about Judas, right? Like there's uh, there's this sense that God ordained Judas, um, and and. And, and and that it was like Judas's uh, role in life as ordained by God to betray Jesus. Um, but then in another passage in Luke, 
it says that he was demon possessed. So yeah. which is it? You know, which is it? Is it, is it God? Is it Satan? Or are we just really unsure, you know? Um, and if the Bible seems to be at least a little bit unsure, then I don't think we should be so confident about interpreting um, in, our, in our context right now, um, whatever it may be, that the wrath of God is, is upon us. Not to say that we don't take it seriously that um, there is a wrathful side of God, but we have to really question what that means. Yeah, and, and, and there's two, two things you said that, that I really want to try to unpack. Um, let's talk about the comfortability of people in the wrath of God. Because I feel like when disaster happens, it's very easy for some to point and say, well, this is from God. And the reason why it's from God is because of sin in our world or sin in our community, or or anything else. And when you kind of focus on that, um, it's almost like the re- and it's and it's done in a way that I believe that for those of you who are not, you know, saved, that you now need to get saved, or there's going to be a lot worse stuff that's going to happen. So it's almost like we're taking a natural disaster and we're kind of using it as a natural track to get people mm-hmm. to become Christians and not be from discipleship, but from fear. Yeah. And um, so I have a, a huge problem with that because it's like, well, a, and here's my thinking. I'm thinking like, well, why do we just assume that it's these non-Christians that are responsible for the wrath of God? Or if this is God and he is using a thing in nature to get our attention, maybe he might be shaking the foundations of the church to wake us up because maybe mm-hmm. we're not being the people that he had called us to be. And yeah. that's where the... um that's where the awakening is happening. I mean, you think about um, the seven churches in revelations. Uh, I can't remember what church it is, but I mean, it was a church that was experiencing at least what we know historically about when that book was written, that there was already a major earthquake that kind of shook the destroyed mm-hmm. a city. And then only like a few years later, was there rebuilding? There was another one. And I think, and John kind of used that illustration to kind of warn the church about, hey, here's this. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, you know, even John saying like, oh, you know, this was, and I don't think he's saying this was from God, but he's saying, hey, here are these earthquakes. And now here's what the Lord says. And it's kind of this more prophetic, um, apocalyptic uh, view of, hey, if you need to get back with God because, you know, you've already experiencing a lot of destruction and more destructions on its way. So, you yeah. know, so it's like, and again, that's paraphrasing. Like I can't, cause I can't even remember the church or what, if it's one, two, one through seven, like I'm not sure, but yeah. there, um, so there's that. And I think that's something where we too often just automatically jump to that 
assumption or that conclusion yeah. because we have no way of under kind of processing the amount of destruction something may cause. Mm-hmm. Like even with the flooding here, like when I'm looking at videos where it looks like a river is just rushing down our main street and yeah. the parking lot and some of our storefronts are completely underwater. And already, I think, I mean, I don't know how much damage happened this past Saturday, but two weeks ago, almost $3 million in damage, both in residential and commercial damage from the flood. Wow. And you look at that mm-hmm. and like some businesses are, had to rebuild. There's, but even within that natural disaster, I don't think some people may have done that, but at least from my circles, it was like, what can we do to help people get water out of basements? What can we do to help these businesses clean up all the mud, clean up all the flood Mm -hmm. destruction and get them to rebuild and open up back their businesses so that they can make a living. So in a way, this disaster was a way of unifying people to get people, get people going. So, um, so I think that's kind of thing. The other thing you said, which now I forgot because I was on that thing, but (laughs) You said something about um, – no, I don't even remember, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. Okay. It was something – I'm trying to remember because it was people being comfortable. And then just like the struggles with you know God's wrath and everything else. I think mm-hmm. that's also curious because you know, I think we've gotten to point in America, especially when I think about – the group for you know, the first great awakening, Jonathan Edwards, hey, um, oh yeah, sinners in the hands of an angry God, and yet people forget yeah. that there was also a sermon that was uh, sinners in the hands of a loving God. Like there was a two, there is a two parter, but we mm-hmm. like to focus on the angry yeah. God part. We won't, we yeah. want to focus on hell and and even why is that? You know, no. like I feel like. Actually, I have a I have a pretty good educated guess on that because there is back in probably the Middle Ages in American history or not American history because we weren't over here in America yet. But <laughs> <laughs> during the Middle not Ages, quite. during the Middle Ages in religious history, uh, we begin to see kind of more theatrics as far as people trying to communicate. Um, the story of God and Jesus to a mass audience, mainly to those mm. who were uneducated, who didn't know how to read or people who didn't understand, you know, Latin. Yeah. That's why we have like the, um, that's why when you go into Catholic churches or even sometimes some of your very like older churches where you'll see stained glass windows. And if you actually look, it, it follows a chronological story. Right. You know, whether it's the creation, whether it's Jesus's passion, you can see it. And then just through pictures, you can kind of understand a story of who God is or God's creation. Um, You know, I think even if you look at the Sistine Chapel and you look at the ceiling, you can almost see all of, you know, a biblical story through just looking at art. So around that time during the middle ages, they had these like covered wagons 
that they would go around and it was almost like a renaissance festival or a fair kind of like what we what people like the original the original renaissance festival the original and what they were is they were these again they were these like wagons that depicted stories from the bible that went from genesis to revelation so it told a story. So there was things about God, Jesus, but then they also had one that talked about hell. Mm-hmm. And originally, you know, you're supposed to, like, if you're reading a book, you know, you're supposed to go from left to right. So they would set it up so that you would go to each station. And by the time you got through all the station, you then had the opportunity to give your life over to the Lord, have Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So it was, a, it was, a, it was a, almost like doing theater evangelism in some ways however Mm. because again these were uneducated folks they never went left to right they just went to the things that looked interesting so yeah some reason you know hey let's go let's go to the creation story because you get to see half naked people um you know (laughs) with adam and eve you get to go to all these other ones and then it's like ooh, the hell part let's go to that because that's fascinating i mean yeah I mean, you think about it, how much money is made. You know, you think about people going to Easter. I know Easter is a big holiday that people get to go to, and we get to hear about Jesus's resurrection and his death and that whole story. But then when we get to October, like how much money and how many churches like to send kids to like one of those like Halloween horror houses that depicts Mm -hmm. hell? And this is hell what house. Is, the hell houses. And this is what it's like. I don't know if they're still yeah. around, but I know me growing up, those were huge. Mm-hmm. Same. To a hell house. And I even remember my church even thought about, well, can we design our church to kind of be like a haunted house, but more of a Christian haunted house where we're just going to talk about hell all the time. And at the end, they can give their <laughs> lives to Christ, which, yeah. which to me baffles my mind. Yeah. Uh, Let's literally scare the hell out of them. Exactly. So I think, so I think that might be the reason why we're so fascinated with hell, because I think in some ways we're always fascinated with things that are scary it's, yeah, it, or things that are, tra- or even things that are tragic. I mean, how many times do you get stuck in traffic? And then when you finally get past that car accident, that was slowing down the traffic. How many of us, instead of looking straight at the road, we rubberneck and we turn mm-hmm. and we look at the accident and we or, slow down traffic more. Or why is it that we want to watch Jerry Springer or why we <laughs> want to watch like, you know, the real housewives or, yeah. or yeah. like, or like big brother. We watch those shows because of the drama, because it's like a train wreck. And even mm-hmm. though you know you're not supposed to watch it, you just can't look away. Yeah. You know, there's interesting, there's interesting science around that, too. Um, I, I read a book by Richard Rohr one time. And actually, I don't remember which of his books it was in. It might have actually even just been in one of his podcasts. I can't remember. Mm. Um, but he, uh, he talks about... Um, the brain science behind uh, like negativity versus positivity. Right. And he said he has a, he has a friend who's a neuroscientist Mm -hmm. who shared with him that um, they've done studies on the sections of the brain that light up whenever something negative happens versus 
um, the parts of the brain that light up when something positive is experienced. And um, what they've discerned is that um, negative thoughts or negative experiences are to the brain as Velcro. So like something negative happens, whether it's a, uh, you know, something that happened to you personally or something that you witnessed happened to somebody else or um, whatever, um, something negative happens and it just sticks to that part of your brain. It just sticks and it doesn't leave. Like you keep thinking about it um, and it doesn't take any sort of effort to remember it. Whereas a positive experience is like Teflon to the brain. You know, you have, you have those skillets that are lined with Teflon so your eggs don't stick to them. So your pork chops come up nicely, you know. Um, so positive thoughts are like Teflon. You have a positive experience. You witness something really positive and life-giving, and it just rolls right off of the brain unless... And, and here's the exception, which, which uh, uh, Richard Rohr refers to as Christian contemplation, um, unless you continue to think and you continue to ponder that positive experience for a minimum of 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's 15 seconds. For some people, it takes longer. For some people, it takes less time. But the science tells us that if you want to have um, life-giving memories, you better sit and think about them. You better, you better think about what you like about what just happened to you, what was life-giving about what just happened to you. Otherwise, you know, the Bible talks about it all the time. My people, you forget. Mm. You forget where you came from. Mm-hmm. You forget that you were slaves in Egypt mm-hmm. and, and I delivered you. You forget... That when you were yet sinners and enemies of God, I sent Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, like we forget how good God is. And so we get stuck on these passages in the Bible that we don't even really understand when you actually can understand the love of God, but the wrath just sticks with us. Yeah. And, and you bring up a very interesting point with that, because I mean, if you think about why, and I would say probably most of, and I don't know how your conversion experience was when you decided to follow Jesus, but, you know, I think for most people, their decision to follow Jesus was mainly because of sin, hell, being separated from God, those type of messages where it was like, okay, I need to repent so I don't go to hell. So I can be in heaven with granddaddy or with my parents or with my aunt or uncle, you know, people who, yeah. who passed away. So that's kind of the, so something negative like that is going to stick. Yeah. Whereas when you think about what Jesus is calling us and, you know, about what salvation is, it's not just asking. And I did a, I did a podcast with someone about this recently. So that's why this is fresh on my mind. You know, salvation's not just Jesus coming to my heart and then he's there and then that's it. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times we see in scripture talk about being followers 
And when I think about following, it's something that's continual. So when you're talking about those good thoughts, that if for the, in order to good thoughts to stick, it's something you have to ponder, you have to reflect. I think even within our Christian journey, you know, when we get so focused on the wrath of God versus the love of God, well, to experience the love of God, it's something where you have to take up your cross and follow him. It's when yeah. Jesus and John says, you know, I call my sheep. And they know me by, and they know my voice and they follow me. And you, and then you, again, you know, with me, with Bible study, we're going through the book of Exodus. And I mean, we just got past the parting of the Red Sea and the sea closing in on the Egyptians. So now it's like, now we're going to read about the song of Moses, the song of Miriam, but immediately, immediately, it seems like right after that and the time of worship and the singing, we go back to Moses. Why did you bring us out here to die? Life mm-hmm. is so much better in Egypt. And it's like, yeah, you guys did. And I would assume for Israel, witnessing the plagues, mm-hmm. witnessing the parting of the Red Sea, witnessing the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, witnessing all of that. Yeah. And especially being in agony for so long. Yeah. To the point where you're crying out, crying out, crying out. And now God had sent a deliverer to you to free yeah. you from your bondage. And yet they forgot. Yeah. They forgot the goodness that God had done for them. And they wanted to think because, because now all they're thinking about is the negativity that's sticking. Now we have no food. We have no water. Mm-hmm. We're out here in the desert. But what was the thing that stuck? Well, the other negative experience, slavery, and what was attached to that? Food, shelter, a bed. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, that, that's, that, those are some interesting points from the psychology of things with, you know, yeah. negativity being Velcro and positivity being Teflon unless you ponder and reflect on it for about 15 seconds yeah and this is why this is why i think one of the reasons that uh communal worship is so important Mm -hmm. because we are forced we are forced in a a setting with other people to consider through song which is certainly more than 15 seconds you know through uh scripture reading through exhortation um from the the preacher you know from the pastor we are forced during that time to consider the goodness of God. Mm. You know, um, I think that's why liturgy is so important. I think that's why God says, you know, don't you, you set this day apart, you know, you set this, this day aside and remember me. Um, it's, it's why Paul says, do not forsake the fellowship. Um, you know, and, and, I don't know. I just, I just think there's, and I think that puts, makes it really important for those of us who are preparing liturgies, who are writing liturgies, who are preparing sermons, who are leading worship to really consider what it is that we are communicating to our people. And I think, and I think that's very key too, because, um, you know, you think about, the preparation and the idea of communal worship and how you're, you're there 
to reflect on God's goodness, to reflect on his grace, to reflect on his salvation, to reflect on his love for us. Because even though we think about Jesus' death and crucifixion as negative in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. um, we also see the positive of what it represented, why it happened. And now that he had conquered that negativity, he had conquered his death so that we may have life and life more abundantly. So yeah. when we think about that aspect, you know, that's why it's important for us to have this time of worship. And I think that's why it's very important for me as someone who has to prepare, you know, a message from the word, you know, I mean, I can go to like, even like this Sunday, I'm talking about radical for forgiveness and what's that look like. And, and even I'm thinking about just kind of my own thoughts and even kind of tying it to what happened this week with uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. I mean, Mm -hmm. how easy is it for me to condemn the kind of mock to kind of laugh and say, Hey, you know, this individual who, in my opinion, for so long has kind of given Christianity a bad name and a bad rap by, by, you know, policies and everything else that he has said and done. And yet I think about God's forgiveness and how forgiveness is communal to forgive one another, just as I has forgiven you. Mm. So I could either join in the world in mocking or I can take the radical route and forgive Hmm. and do that. And I think that's very, especially I think it's harder when it's somebody who I have no affiliation or connection with, but yet someone who does represent Christianity in some ways. Um, and I mean, so it's it's one of those things where I'm struggling with. So I'm looking at scripture. I'm reading about forgiveness. I'm reading about, well, you know, how does that work? And how's that work in modern society? And even thinking like, well, that's hard to do. Yeah. And I think in the same way, when, and, and I mean, that's kind of an aside, but even bringing that back to our conversation today, I think it's very hard for us to look at plagues and disasters and for those who may have some type of upbringing spiritually or even maybe superstitious to kind of look at all these things and see positivity out of it to yeah. see, to pause and reflect and go, okay, here's this natural disaster. You know, what can I learn from this or what can I do from this? And I think especially here in Stanton, what we have seen is when the net, when the flooding happened, we had people who were giving money to the state or to the city to kind of help within their fund to help some of these local yeah. businesses. GoFundMe pages, people going and using up, taking days off work to go and help like remove drywall and build more walls and mop yeah. up junk. And even like I've known, some people have helped neighbors get water out of basements. I know someone who there's a restaurant and they went and grabbed dishes, their dishes and took them home so they mm. could wash dishes in their yeah. own sink and bring them back so that they were 
done, help move refrigerators around so they can get all the mud and the water and the, and the contamination all cleaned up. And you look mm-hmm. at all that and you go in a world and just kind of how I processed everything. I'm like, okay, in a world where this year has been just such a, you know, such a crapshoot for some mm-hmm. yet in, in the politics and people just getting angry and being so divided by the political climate that we're in right now with the election coming up. And yet here we see no Democrat and Republican. We see no Christian or non-Christian. We see no, um, we see no, you know, racist or non-racist individual in that moment. What we saw was a community gathered together when we got kicked down and trying to pick ourselves yeah. back up and trying to help one another, love one another. And I'm like, well, that's exactly what this world can be. Yeah. And, you know, and it shouldn't have to take a natural disaster to do that. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and even to point that out, that doesn't take a natural, but at the same time, you know, whether this is just, it is what it is. It's just a lot of rain that came down and flooded, whether this was from the devil, whether this was from God, at least the response of it from our community in this natural disaster was let's help one another. Yeah. Let's not, call a special camp meeting or a tent meeting and start telling people that, Hey, this flood happened because sin and everything else, or you didn't have other P pastors saying, well, the reason why this happens is because the churches are too far or too political in their pulpits and have forgotten their one true love. They have forgotten Jesus or the word of God. You know, it, none of that happened. It was flooding happened let's give money, let's rebuild, mm-hmm. let's help s- clean up people's houses. Let's do that because that's what makes us a community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you make a good point and not to be too serendipitous or anything um, because I don't think that this is the only way up, but um, sometimes uh, uh, I've, heard, I've heard it said that sometimes down is the only way up. Mm. You know, that, uh, again, Richard Rohr, he, he refers to the idea of, um, of uh, suffering as falling up. Mm. You know, there, there's something redemptive. There can be. There's not always. Um, some people don't allow suffering to be redemptive. Um, they become bitter or they become angry or, or, or cynical or whatever. But if you allow it, you know, like Jesus allowed um, suffering to be redemptive for all humanity. If you allow it, um, your downward spiral can be redemptive. And uh, mm-hmm. we only reach, um, we only reach maturity uh, of faith through avenues of suffering or love. Great suffering or great love is what he says. And um, a lot of times both. And Jesus lived a life of of poverty, lived a life of um, living on the fringes of society. And then he died. um, He he died the death of what's the equivalent today of the electric chair. 
Um, he was punished before everybody as a criminal of the state. Um, and yet he also lived a life of profound um, love, um, love for um, people on the fringes, love for those who are in poverty, even love for the people that he criticized the most. Because if you allow power to go unchecked, you don't really love the people in power, you know? Um, Jesus criticized uh, the, the, the power of the religious leaders by having compassion on the people that they were oppressing, you know? Um, he called them whitewashed tombs and broods of vipers, and you know, because he knew that the life that they were living was not fully human. It was not right. It was not a life of love. And so he had to correct them. But Jesus lived this profound life of suffering and love. And that's the only way up um, for us is either through profound suffering or profound love. And um, a lot of times it's both. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know what to make of a lot of natural disasters. Um, certainly there, there are good things that come out of natural disaster. I think if we want to talk about natural disaster as the wrath of God, uh, we have to define the term wrath of God. And uh, the, the most comfortable definition for me would be God's withdrawal, mm. God's withdrawing. Um, not that God is on the offensive striking us down, but that God is withdrawing his power over the storm, so to speak, um, and for a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, not usually in the Bible, almost always, um, the wrath of God is for restoration. Um, fire is more often talked about in terms of refining God's people than it is about eternally damning them, eternally punishing them. Wrath of God and, you know, the withdrawal. I mean, look at the prophets. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. How many times that if because of your wickedness, because of your sin, that I am now withdrawing my hand or the hand of God. You know, it was always when the hand of God was upon them, victory. Mm -hmm. When the hand of God was away from them, defeat but not defeat for their ruin but it was a defeat that one day they will then be restored yeah it and was a ruin that's... yeah it was a ruin i'm reading jeremiah right now mm -hmm. and um and some people say you know jeremiah didn't actually write this part because it's just kind of scattered throughout but um i don't it's in the bible i don't i don't i don't have any real reason to, to question its authenticity, but, mm -hmm. um, it, but I'm reading and he's talking about, you know, the weeping prophet Jeremiah is talking about the destruction and the ruin that's going to come upon Israel um, if they don't repent. And it's always, it's always this idea that they're just going to be utterly destroyed and conquered by a great empire, you know, talking, kind of prophesying about Babylon and all that kind of stuff. And then at the, the end of each of these, there's tacked on this statement and it says, but I will not completely destroy you. I will mm -hmm. not completely ruin you. There's this, there's this sense of hope that what is about to happen is so that you turn to me, you know, so that you fall up, you're going to come down. The, the mountain's going to come down and the valley's going to come up, you know, 
And right now you're on the mountain and you're coming down. Soon you'll be um, in, in the valley, but I will raise the valley up again, you know? Mm. And, um, but like, I think about, uh, I was, I was going to say, I think about COVID-19 mm-hmm. and um, if you actually like take some time to try to understand the science of what's happening, um, you'll learn that this is, this is actually a consequence of our actions. Um, it's not that God has like given us this plague COVID-19, but we have, we have actually created a world uh, wherein pandemics like this are more possible and more common and, and are going to be more likely um, because we have destroyed God's good creation in so many parts of the globe and uh, wildlife is coming in contact more with human life. Um, and we know that that's where diseases like this come from. It's from um, being transmitted by animals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, early on, we, we heard it, uh, that it was, it was derived from bats and, and things like that. But we are destroying habitats um, and wildlife has nowhere else to go. And so they're interacting more with humans. And so we really have to take that seriously, for one, that we have brought this upon ourselves um, by thinking that we're making progress in this life by putting up skyscrapers and cutting down trees. Um, and, and somehow, like, the, the world, people will know that God is all-powerful and all-good by observing creation, and yet we're destroying it, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, on top of that, like when COVID-19 hit, it was almost like it was nature's way of pushing back because rivers started to clear up, you know, like Mm -hmm. when, when we stopped driving our cars everywhere Mm -hmm. and we stopped the factories, rivers started to clear up. Um, Mm -hmm. you could actually see through the water, um, pollution levels above us went down, you know, it was it was almost like a restoration of our home, mm-hmm. of, our, of our planet, you know? And, and so we can say, like, why didn't God prevent this from happening? But at the same time, it's kind of showing us, like, we've got to fix some things, mm-hmm. right? Like, and on top of that, like, in our busy culture, um, we've been forced to slow down and think about what's most important to us. Yeah, Exactly. Sorry, that was a bi- big old rant. That was that was a meditation that I've. That's I've okay, been man. <laughs> it was good, and I think we'll just go ahead and kind of close with that because I think we you know we've really kind of covered a lot of uh, a lot of things with uh, this idea of natural disasters, wrath of God, and kind of um, this idea of ruin and restoration. I think those are kind of key things that we see throughout scriptures. And I think it's things that we have to kind of remember, not just focus on, you know, like the, um, like the peasants in the middle ages, don't just focus on the, the wrath part of everything, you know, let's look at the whole story and see kind of the beauty in the whole story of everything. 
But Ryan, again, thanks for joining me on this podcast. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, feel free to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, we would love to hear from you on what your thoughts are, kind of what your experience is with natural disasters and the wrath of God. You can go ahead and leave a comment on my website, thescottstedman.com, or you can go ahead and leave a comment on the uh, official Facebook group, the official Scott Stedman podcast. Um, but again, Ryan, thank you so much for having, uh, for joining me on my show. <laughs> I say Thanks, we because Scott. we used to have we, it is used to be our show and then and then I it became my show once you moved down to Florida so <laughs> but yeah you're still part of the whole team over here at the Scott Seven podcast slash theology and backgammon so definitely love having you on brother thanks Scott it's always a pleasure my friend all right everybody and thank you so much for listening I hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you soon bye <laughs>